Hello, you're listening to Which Moving Pictures Move Us, and I'm your host, Emma Bolzner. For September, the theme of this podcast will be all about back-to-school movies. Since many of us will have school virtually from home, I thought it would be fun to talk about some underrated university and high school movies this month. For today, I will be talking about the 1995 film Mr. Holland's Opus, starring Richard Dreyfuss, William H. Macy, Olympia Dukakis, and Jean Louisa Kelly. And with me virtually is my good friend, Christina. Hello, it's so good to be back. Yes, it's so great to have you. And I thought before we start, it would be fun to point out that Christina and I sang in a choir for over a decade together. So I thought this movie would be appropriate since music has always been a huge part in our lives and the reason we met in the first place. So anyway, for those of you who haven't seen this film, Mr. Holland's Opus takes place in a 30-year timeline from 1965 to 1995 and follows a dedicated music teacher played by Richard Dreyfuss who inspires each student he teaches. However, his real dream is to become a famous musician and finish his symphony. But when he becomes a father and a full-time teacher, that dream is farther and farther away from reality. Over the years, he feels like he's never made a difference on the world because his life didn't turn out the way he had planned. But in reality, he touched more lives by being a teacher than he would have done as a musician. So what do we think of Mr. Holland's opus? I really love this movie. I'm going to be honest. I was like, I was a little, I wasn't skeptical going into it. I was a little skeptical at times when it got going just because it covered so much ground so many things happen and it didn't even like 30 years is a long time to cover in a movie already but it's not even that it covered a whole lot of ground timeline wise it also hit on a lot of themes like and i was really worried i was like oh man like how are they gonna have all of these things happen in a satisfying way how are they not going to drop the ball and i felt like overall they did a really good job of like balancing all of the issues that they touched on and like making it all fit together and it was just like it was fun to watch I liked watching it yeah because when I press play it it's two and a half hours long so it's a fairly long movie but it I didn't look at the time when I was watching it it just went by actually quickly because it was so interesting and again like covering 30 years in a movie they don't want to cover that much time and There's this older movie um, called Giant with Elizabeth Taylor from the 50s, and they try to do something like that where it's like covering like 40 years, and it's just so bad, and it doesn't work because they try to age the characters, but what the lacking in that movie is that it doesn't stay up with the current events, and with this one, with the current events segues in between, I think that really helped because you know what year it is by, you know, who the president is or what the big current event is or John Lennon's death. Everyone knows that year is 1980, so I thought that was a really good way to do that, to stay on track. Yeah, I thought it was really interesting how they did, like, how they showcased the time jumps, um, Especially because I remember the first time they did a time jump when they showed all the stuff happening in between. I was like, what is going on right now? Like, why do we care about all of these current events? Um, because I, I looked up very little about this movie before watching it. I wanted to go in as blind as possible, just because I thought that would be more fun. Um, so I didn't know how much ground it covered until I watched it. So the first time they did one of those sort of time jumps where they showed all the current events, I was like, why do we care about any of this? And then I was like, oh, like we are setting the scene for the next decade and then we're going to do it again and then we're going to do it again. And it was like, 
It actually, yeah. like, I really liked it by the time it came around the second time because I understood, like, oh, this is, like, the grounding force so that we know what is happening. And I will say, I think that for me, like, the first 30 minutes of the movie were a little bit slow. Like, I will be honest, I remember, like, looking at the time around the 30-minute mark and being like, oh, my God, there's still two hours left of this movie. But after that, it, like, really picked up. And by the time I got, like an hour into it I was like oh wow like I'm already an hour into it so like I think it was just like it was just the setup was a little slow for me um I think like we didn't need to see quite as much of him not liking teaching as we did just because like it was a little bit boring but I also understand why I was there um and like the rest of it was really good so oh well (laughs) and I think it was also a bit slow at the beginning because they were setting up the characters but also because there isn't like a an antagonist like yeah. usual movies have where there's like this big problem because this problem is just like he doesn't want to be a teacher at the beginning but throughout it there isn't really like an antagonist which I thought was really interesting it was just the situations that life brings you because in real life when you're living your life you don't have like one person that's like you hate it's yeah. just things that happen that you didn't have planned and I think they really show that well did you feel like this movie had almost, like, two parts to it? Because I, when I was watching it, I thought it was, like, two movies. So the first half, I thought, was, like, when his son was born. That's when the first half ended. And then the second half was just... Like, it, it almost seemed like... And I've never felt that way when watching a movie before. And I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, okay. I, like, I totally agree. Except I feel like, for me, it was at a different spot. Because... Um, for me, I thought, like, I remember checking the time, um, when the first principal, um, Miss Jacobson retires, because I thought that was the end of the movie. Like, to me, I was like, oh, this is the end. Like, it felt like such, like, a final moment that I just assumed that, like, that was the end of the movie. And then I was like, oh, we still have, like, an hour to go. Um, which wasn't a bad thing because I really liked the movie. I was just surprised. Um, so yeah, for me, I also totally felt like it was two movies, um, and I feel like, for me, the first half, the, the first movie ended with, like, Miss Jacobson retiring, and then the second movie started, like, after that. I don't remember when exactly his son was born in relation to that. I know his son was still, like, pretty young when Miss Jacobson retired. Yeah. I think it was when he was, like, like, you know, like a little kid still, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, for me, like, it totally felt like two movies. Um, I actually, I have, like... I have, like, two semi-controversial hot takes about this movie that I want to say right now. My first hot take is that I almost feel like it should have actually been two movies, just because then we could have gone, like, even more in-depth with stuff and also not have to sit through, like, a a two-and-a-half-hour movie, just because as much as I liked it, like, two-and-a-half hours is, like, a long time to commit. So my first, like, controversial hot take is I think it should have been two movies. My second more controversial hot take is I really liked this movie. I would have in I really like this movie. It would be almost perfect in my brain if the entire scene with Rowena was cut. I fucking hated that part of the movie. It was the worst part for me. I was like the whole time I was I hated it. The whole time I was watching it, I was like no, no, no. I hate this. If they had cut that part of the movie, First of all, it would have, like, made it not a two-hour-plus movie, but also it would have been, like, an almost perfect movie in my mind without, like, that <laughs> chunk. I, oh, I didn't like it at all. I hated Rowena. I was like, ah. 
I, I don't know how I feel about her, but I really liked her voice. Oh, she was a great singer. <laughs> yeah. But let's get back to Sorry. the beginning. So, <laughs> Those are my like, hot takes. so it starts. No, that's okay. But why don't we talk about the first um, student he helped, who is Gertrude Lang, yeah. and she is trying to learn how to play the clarinet. And I loved the chemistry between them and the connection that they had, and how she really does not believe in herself, and she's very unconfident. And everyone in her family has this great gift, you know. Um, her siblings like are on the football team or her mom is like a great painter and her dad's a great singer and she's just not good at anything. And so she tries and tries to learn the clarinet and he really believes in her and takes like goes the extra mile to help her play. Yeah, I loved that scene. It made me like it it's funny because I'm taking like a music education course right now and I want to talk about this movie so bad in my class on Tuesday because I was thinking about like when um, Mr. Howard is helping her, Gertrude, learn the, the clarinet, it made me think of like all the really great experiences I've had with music teachers growing up and like it was just like such a, it was such a good moment. I know, I think you just posted um, if I'm remembering correctly, your episode on Dead Poets Society. Yes. And it reminded me a lot of those moments where, yeah, where, where Robin Williams' character has the moments of connection with his students, which are so, so powerful. Like, I, I felt the same way with that. It was so good to see him, like, genuinely encouraging her and support her. And he didn't have to. Like, at the beginning of the movie, she's not good at playing the clarinet. He easily could have given up on her and been like, oh, no, she's terrible. Like, yeah. you know, she can, like do band, I guess, but, like, whatever, you know, don't quit your day job, but he doesn't give up on her, like, he really encourages her, and I think that that's so good. And I was realistic showing the band not being good, because I feel like in high school movies, they really skip through that, and they just show, like, you know, the choir is perfect, and the band is perfect, and it just shows you what high school is really like, and more realistic, but I really liked when he asked uh, Gertrude, you know, um, when you look in the mirror, what do you like about yourself? And I thought that was such a nice thing for somebody to say. To, like, I wanted Mr. Holland saying that to me. That is so nice. And that really inspired her. And, yeah. and when she told him her answer, she really could focus and play. And I just going back to Mr. Holland, where it's very rare. I don't think there's many movies that show a teacher's perspective of uh, school it's usually you know the teacher is the most stereotypical you know really unrealistic kind of character and it's almost like they live at school like they re-enhance that mm-hmm. stereotype and you know they're nerdy with glasses and they have no personal life or they're super dorky and then that students can just bully them and I hate when movies do that because that is not what my high school teachers were like and I thought they did a good job at showing uh how the attitude changes uh, with the kids from the 60s compared to like the 70s and 80s and how they're all very well behaved and dressed so nicely in the 60s and then in the 70s and 80s they start you know rebelling and they're stoned and they don't really want to listen to him and I thought that was really well done. Yeah well and I also thought it was really interesting to get the teacher's perspective especially because it was I think it was like a really accurate portrayal of how the teacher's attitude is like the biggest 
thing that students pick up on. Like, Mr. Holland did not become any more knowledgeable about music, about, like, the subject matter between, you know, the start of the movie and the end of the movie, but he cared more and he was engaged more, and that was what the students really picked up on. Like, I'm sure you felt this way, but when you walk into a classroom, you can instantly tell the difference between mm -hmm. teachers who, like, they love teaching and this is their passion and they love the subject, and teachers who are just there because it's their fallback plan or because it's easy money or because they felt like they had to. Like, it, like the attitude of the teacher, I think, 1,000% makes the biggest difference in whether students end up liking that teacher or not. Yeah. I agree. And I think when he got out of the mindset, because he went into teaching with a plan and it was just going to be a temporary job, uh, maximum four years, him and his wife decide. And then when the, their son comes along, you know, it all changes and he becomes a 30 year plus teacher. And I think when it changed, when it wasn't just a temporary gig, then the students changed with him too because they picked up that he really was dedicated because at the beginning he just didn't really care. And I think once the job was less temporary. He was more dedicated and the kids were more dedicated with him. Oh, definitely. And it was, it was just like really nice to watch that change and to see like, you know, the, despite how the students may have changed over the years, like you said, when you see them in the different decades and the sort of general attitudes of the students, like as long as he continued to remain passionate about what he was teaching, like the students always came around to him in the end. Yeah. And I also was surprised at how when you're with the character for so long, uh, 30 years, how you still root for him throughout it. And you're like kind of always by his side. And I thought, yet, yeah, you know, he isn't perfect. He has his flaws. He's not very nice to his son. And I thought that was really good, too. Yeah, definitely. And this is my this is part of the reason why I think the Rowena bit should have been cut is because it was really hard to root for him in that moment. Like, oh, whoopee, we're supposed to applaud his strong will for not running away with a minor and going back to his family. Like, is this supposed to be some moment where we're supposed to cheer at how good a person he is? Like, that's a pretty low bar. I know. It was a low point in his life because, you know, I think with that, like, offer, I, I knew he wasn't going to run away. I just I just assumed it. But, like, when you're given an offer like that, like, I'll, you can just do your composition. I think he's been so longing to hear somebody give time for him that that just kind of was, like, not really her, but just the idea of having time to do his yeah. own thing and not have to worry about his students and his family was more of the appeal. Uh, I th thought they did it pretty um, well. Not that I like Rowena as much either, but I feel like nowadays they would make it really more... Um, gross and I think they yeah. did it really well I didn't feel grossed out I thought it was appropriate but um I think they just have to go the extra step now and even nowadays it wouldn't be as appropriate to show but they would like go the extra mile by making it really gross I'm gonna be completely honest with you I still felt grossed out watching it and it might just and it might just be it might be a totally personal thing because like when I was in high school, my high school band teacher was arrested 
for having a relationship with an underage student oh, really? for like two years. Yeah, while she was a student. And so it might just be a personal thing where the whole time I was watching it, I was like, oh my God, it's Mr. Smith all over again. Oh my God, I hate this. <laughs> yeah, because he's not so a creep. I, like, and, I still yeah. found it gross. Like I was still okay. just like any time that she was like, and it wasn't because of him, it was because of her. Like it was just like any time that Rowena was like around him or like very obviously trying ah. to flirt with him and like get close with him, I was like, ew. Ew, ew, get out of here. I hate you. Please leave and never come back. <laughs> oh, man, when she was... Okay, so she's the uh, main um, character in the play for Gershwin, and Ira Gershwin play, and she sings somewhere, Someone to Watch Over Me, which is a gorgeous song, and she sings it so beautifully. But her eyes, she has such hungry freaking eyes. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. Like her facial expressions and then when the wife is watching it happen like I love that they didn't need that dialogue after to just be like so what's going on with you and that girl and that that would have just ruined it just the facial expressions of the three of them were so good like that's all you needed and I was so happy that they didn't delve into it more and I was also happy um that you know he didn't take it any farther Yeah, no, I 100% agree. I think that if they had, like, for as much as I, like, wished that whole bit didn't exist at all, I think that it definitely could have been done way worse. Like, Mm -hmm. I think that if, if they had dwelled on it too long or had it be this, like, big, dramatic, like, marital problem between him and his wife, like, I think he would have really lost track of the core of what the movie's movie's about. Like, I... Yeah, like, I like that they had little... They showed, like, little spats between him and his wife as time went on because that's realistic. Like, obviously, things are not going to be perfect between, you know, in, for, in his home life 100% of the time. But I think that if they'd really dwelled on the whole thing with him and Rowena when nothing really happened and, like... It would have ruined the film. did not do anything wrong. It would have ruined the film. It would have just, like... It would have just been, like, a whole bunch of extra drama that was unnecessary and, like... For as much as I hate that scene and for as much as I hate that it's like, you know, we're supposed to root for Mr. Holland in that moment because, wow, what a great guy for not running away with a minor. I will say that, like, everything that makes me uncomfortable about that scene is, like, stuff that Rowena does. Like, it's it's never anything Mr. Holland does. She just, like, makes me so uncomfortable. <laughs> so gross. Which was tasteful. Yeah, that's what the word is. I thought it was tastefully done. I found the word. Not gross. <laughs> um, there was something else I was going to say. Um, oh, um, before it got creepy between them, because I know how lo- much you love Rowena. I thought it did another parallel to Mr. Keating in Dead Poet Society is when he tells Neil, you know, go pursue your acting, follow your dreams. And I thought he was really doing that with her going to New York, being a singer and not staying in the town. Uh, in Portland and just be a waitress and he was the one that really inspired her like Mr. Keating inspired Neil and that's that's just how I wanted to end Rowena's subject (laughs) yeah definitely I was actually going to say if you don't mind me saying like speaking of Dead Poets Society I think that um when you said like it's so great that this movie is from the teacher's perspective I think that that yeah it's so rare to get a movie from a teacher's perspective because even if the movie is very centered around the teacher. Like, Dead Poet Society is primarily about, you know, Robin Williams' character, but to a certain extent, it is, like, equally, if not more so, about the students. Like, we don't get anywhere... It's, you know, it's, it's more of an ensemble cast. Like, it is about 
Robin Williams' character's home life, and it's about the students' home lives, and it's about the students' personal lives, whereas this movie was, you know, we focused on Mr. Holland. We got little tidbits of scenes with different students, but it was not about one student in particular. It was about him and the students who revolved around him, yeah. which I thought was really cool. Yeah, and, and I thought that they're both kind of parallel in that way, whereas, you know, Robin Williams is not the main, main character. But again, that these both these movies are not new. This is the 25th anniversary of Mr. Holland's opus, and I think Dead Poet Society turned 30 last year. So I'd like to see some more oh, wow. movies like this, and we haven't. Yeah. I'd, like, I'd rather see stuff like this than, you know, Riverdale. <laughs> We have if so I'm quite many honest. high school movies from the students' perspective. I know. So many. Like. <laughs> so before we, we need talk... to go back to the teachers. Yeah, because they're not just, you know, dorks. Um, and I feel like we've been staying in that kind of sitcom. Like, they're always laughable for too long. And Mr. Holland is, like, a very full, round character. And you can relate to him in many ways. And... It just would be nice yeah. if they portrayed teachers more realistically. I don't know, maybe we feel this way because both our parents are teachers, but it would be yeah, nice right? to see more space for them in the media. Yeah, definitely. So before we talk about Cole, who is um, Mr. Holland's son, I wanted to just talk about uh, little Russ, who was another student that he really inspired, but he sadly died, spoilers, in Vietnam uh, years later. And I don't know if you want to talk much about him, but he basically was on the football team and his grades weren't doing very well. And Bill, who is the coach, asks Mr. Holland if he could be in the school band. And little Russ cannot keep a beat for the life of him and he's playing the drums and... Oh my gosh, he's so off. I used to dance with somebody in a ballet class where when you do jumps, you have to be right on the beat and there'd be this girl who would always be like five seconds off and it would always throw everybody else off. So when I, I, I saw the other kids in the band, I could relate because <laughs> there's some people out there that just can't stay on a beat. And I thought it was really good how he just, you know, spent the time just like he spent the time with Gertrude and just, you know, kept him at it. And really got him to play um, to play the drums. Yeah, no, it was it was really great to watch, and I think like seeing that montage of him working so hard just to try to get this kid on beat was so cool to watch because he put in time with this poor kid, and he yes. finally when he's finally on the beat, and then you see his parents like cheering for him at the parade. It is such a triumphant moment. And I mean, it's something where like, you know, we both sang in choir for over 10 years together. Like, I am a music student right now. I take just knowing how to be on beat for granted. Like, I think that it would be very easy. It would have been really easy for Mr. Holland, like especially the Mr. Holland who we see at the beginning of the movie, to be like, oh my God, like this idiot can't even stay on beat. Like, what is wrong with him? Like, that's so easy. But like, of course it's easy for yeah. him. He's a musician. So, you know, I think it was so great mm -hmm. to see him like really take the time to help this kid with something that like may have been like, really easy for Mr. Holland to pick up, but he, he didn't judge Lil Russ for, like, 
having that be something yes. that was so difficult for him. He just kept working with him. Yeah, and he made the kids laugh. And what I liked is he wasn't judgmental and he connected with each kid in a different way. Mm. And I think that was really important showing that because, again, in a lot of the American films, they think if you just give you know one assignment and the bell rings, every kid will just do the same kind of assignment. But every kid learns in a different way. And even back in the 90s, you know, the idea of having extra time for students or, you know, giving them some accommodations was not really a thing. And only when, you know, the internet and having computers for kids that, you know, have trouble writing as much was only adapted. And I thought that that was very forward thinking of just, you know, taking the time with each kid because not everybody can learn in half an hour and then just be good at their part. Yeah, exactly. Well, and I think that it goes back again to how engaged and how passionate he became about teaching because even today with all of the technology and all of the knowledge that we have there are still teachers who would have seen a kid like Lil Russ and just given up on him they just like would not have thought that it was Mm -hmm. worth their time putting in all that time to get him to do something that was so quote-unquote easy whereas like Mr. Holland it didn't matter whether he was teaching in the 60s or the 90s he was going to be willing to put in that time yeah. So at the parade, um, we find out, or um, Iris, Mr. Holland's wife, finds out that their son Cole is deaf because I think it's a f- siren goes off yeah. and all the kids are screaming and Cole is, I don't think he's even one yet. He's pretty little. Mm. And she realizes that he has a hearing issue. And what irony for a musician and a music teacher to have a son that can't hear and he starts really I don't think he resents Cole but he just resents that you know he won't be able to enjoy his love for music and that must be devastating I can't imagine because music is such an integral part of my life that if my future child would not be able to hear I would just be devastated yeah I think I will say really quickly first of all because again I like went into this movie very blind just the way that they filmed, like, having all of the kids reacting at the sirens, and then Cole is, like, baby Cole is, like, asleep with his, like, head back, not reacting to the sirens at all, and the mom is, like, freaking out. Just the way that they filmed that, I thought Cole was dead, because he's just lying there emotionless, not reacting, and I was like, oh my god, they killed Mr. Holland's baby! Oh my god, that kid died! And I was freaking out. I was like, I did not think it That's so funny. I was like, oh my god, I didn't think it was that kind of movie. This is up all over again. Their kid died. Like, I was so worried. I was like... So yeah, really glad the cold didn't die. But like, because I was like, wow, I did not know it was going to be that kind of movie. Like, good lord. Um, so I mean, like, yeah, glad the cold wasn't dead, first of all. But yeah, I think that it was like, it was interesting, especially watching this movie that is, you know, made in the 90s, set in, oh gosh, it's like the 60s when Cole is born, I think. Yeah, I think it's like 67. Okay, yeah, so it's like late 60s when Cole was born, you know, set in the late 60s, filmed in the 90s. It was really interesting to see how they handled Mr. Holland having this child who was born deaf because when they first talked to that doctor, um, right when the the mom starts to realize that she thinks the kid is deaf and the doctor Mm -hmm. makes some comment about like, oh, like, you know, 
don't, don't try to follow his gestures. They won't help him at all in a hearing world. I was so angry. I was like, oh my God, like, mm-hmm. this is so ableist. Like, this is so awful. Like, I cannot believe that this doctor is so bad. But then you realize that the point of the movie is for you to realize how bad this doctor was. And I was very relieved that the movie didn't condone anything this doctor was saying. I was like, oh, I get it. We're supposed to hate the doctor and realize that he's ableist. And right. only when she put the... <laughs> And only when the mom decided to put him in that special private school where uh, he could be with kids his own age and actually learn how to do well in this world. Uh, in those days, basically when you had a child that had that, they were had to always be dependent on you. And only pretty much in the last 40, not even like 30 years, they finally made space for people to become dependent on their own without their family and actually get around in the world and not have to depend on anybody. But in those days, they just thought people like that were, they didn't, they were so unkind to people like that. Yeah, well, and, and it's so, it's I thought so they sad. did. Oh, sorry. <laughs> no, no, I was just gonna say that I was looking up um, the cast members in this movie, and everyone that, every boy that plays Cole, since it's like separate years in his life you know there's like a six-year-old Cole and then there's a teenage Cole and then there's like a 30-year-old Cole but all those um actors that played him are deaf in real life which I really liked because there was this new um movie not new I guess it's a couple years old now with Jacob Tremblay and Julia Roberts and I hadn't seen it but he plays um a kid that has a facial disfigurement and people were really upset because they were like, why didn't you just get an actor who really has a facial disfigurement to be in the movie instead of putting makeup on, you know, and Jacob Tremblay is very cute. So, and I was really upset about that and I was kind of boycotted the movie, but I thought for a while, 1995, they actually chose deaf people to be in the movie and make them be actors was really impressive. I, I had no idea, actually. That's really great. I, yeah, I didn't know that. I was just going to say, I think that it's really, it's, I mean, obviously, you know, we are Canadian, we are not American, so I, you know, cannot speak to the American schooling and healthcare system because I don't know it super well, other than I know it's a lot more expensive than it is here. But I think that it's really sad to see how they had to spend all of this money just to get Cole into this special special school, which was the only yeah. place where he was going to be able to learn ASL and be able to be taught. Yeah. Like, there were no accommodations at uh, the school where Dr. Holland taught at, at John F. Kennedy High School. Like, there were no accommodations mm-hmm. for anybody who was deaf or had any type of learning disability or physical disability like you had to pay all this money to go to these special schools because the public schools weren't going to help you. And I thought that that was like also a really interesting commentary and a really sort of sad moment and of like, wow, like, yeah. There, yeah, there is nothing in the public schooling system that would have been able to help Cole. And there's more resentfulness between him and his dad because, you know, paying for this school means less and less time for him to work on his symphony and actually follow his dream. And, you know, Cole really needs this to survive in this world. And I know he loves Cole, but only near the end does he start finally connecting with him. I mean, why is it that, you know, the mom learns sign language to connect with her son, but 
Glenn doesn't, you know? All these things where the mom has to speak for her child because Mr. Holland can't even speak to his own son. And I would resent that if I was Cole, you know, my dad not taking the time to, you know, actually want to be with me. And when he opens the windows, when he's working on his composition and all the papers fly over, I thought that was a really good example. You know, they don't need the screaming fest. They don't need to, you know, say bad language to one another. Just that kind of motion of what he did spoke so much more than words. And I also liked how the mom, uh, I think her name is Iris, was not submissive like most mothers in these kinds of movies. Like, she stood up for herself and her son, and she spoke out and spoke her mind. And that scene was so powerful when Cole is a child and he can't speak, and he's trying to look for something, and the mom doesn't know what he needs, and she screams. And I was, like, crying because it seemed like they really were a family. And I felt like I was intruding in their personal space because it was out of his work zone. And it was so realistically done how she just wanted to talk to her son. And he only wants that need, you know, 10 years after that. Yeah, no, I think that it was, it was really interesting because I know that, you know, obviously I am not a deaf person, so I do not want to, like, step on anybody's toes and speak on behalf of anybody. But I do know that a big dialogue that has been going around recently especially is this idea of, like, how do we acknowledge the work that parents put in as parents without making it seem, without pitying them for the child that they have? Like, there's a very fine line between being like, oh, wow, like, you're such a, like, Iris is such a good mom, like, she does so much for her son, and being like, oh, my God, it must be so hard to have a kid who's deaf. Like, I would hate having a child who's deaf that must be so hard like it is like a, oh, a yeah. you know like it is a fine line you have to toe and I think that the movie did it did it like not perfectly but pretty well especially considering that it was the 90s because like you know there were those moments where you felt bad for Mr. Holland and clearly the movie wanted you to feel bad for Mr. Holland that you know his son was never going to be able to hear music the way that he did given that music was such a big part of his life But at the same time, Mm -hmm. by the end of the movie, they've sort of turned it around and you realize, oh, it's not that Cole can't appreciate music. It's that Glenn wasn't trying hard enough to share his passion with his son. And I like that they turned it around in that way of like, you know, not making it seem like, oh, we're supposed to have all this sympathy for, for Mr. Holland just because like he has a son who is deaf like we shouldn't feel bad for him because his son is deaf because his son is still a human being but we should actually hold Mr. Holland more accountable and you know say like oh yeah like no you're not putting in the work to connect with your son like you're not putting in the work to introduce your passion to your son in a way that is accessible to him and I really like the way that they handled that I thought they did it really well if that makes sense I hope I'm like coming across clearly yeah and No, and once Mr. Holland realized it and, like, held himself accountable for not sharing and taking the time, I mean, he's there for every student except his own son. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's so ironic. And there's, like, little myths of, like, you know, the shoemaker's children don't have shoes, you know? Like, Like, there's these kinds of ideas of how you're there for everybody else except your own child. And once he is, uh, after, um, the big event, and that kind of changes the relationship, John Lennon's death... And, you know, Glenn comes home and he's really upset about John Lennon. 
And, you know, he takes it out on his son saying, like, you wouldn't understand. You wouldn't know how great the Beatles are because you can't hear music. And his son quips back with the help of Iris, you know, why do you not think John Lennon's, you know, death would have an impact on me just because I can't hear it. I know who the Beatles are. I know how powerful and impactful they are. And once he sings Beautiful Boy, which was such another scene that brought me to tears to his son and actually takes the time to learn sign language, you know, when he's a teenager and, you know, sing the song while using sign language, then their relationship changes because I think they come home and Cole is like, you know, has records and he's playing music and he's like, you know, doing the following the beat with his dad. And there's a way, just like he said uh, in his, one of his music classes, you know, how Beethoven would make accommodations for himself when writing music. He would, you know, go to the floorboards and try to hear the beat through the piano and how his son was doing a similar thing just to connect with his father but he never did it before because his father never took the time and they kind of the camera zooms out when he's taking the time with his son to you know the symphony in the background and I thought that was a really intelligent way to show that he's finally making time for his son not for the students not for his symphony but just one-on-one with his son 16 years a bit late but it's still good that it happened. Yeah, I was like, I was genuinely like shocked at how well they actually handled the dynamic of their relationship and the family dynamic, given that it was a movie, again, like set between the 60s and 90s, filmed in the 90s. Like, there are movies being made today that would not have handled that family dynamic as well. And like, there's still some problematic stuff, but problematic because today we know bad know better like in yeah for what they knew in the 90s i think that they they handled all of that extremely well i will mm-hmm. say i think that like one of the reasons why i think that it would have been really interesting if this had been two movies is because there's so much that this movie covers so well but there's also because they make these characters all so interesting and so engaging, there's so much more that I want to know that I feel like if they had made it two movies, like, I would have loved to see more of Iris and Cole. I want to know so much more about Iris. She's so cool. Like, I would have loved to see more of her. I would have loved to see a little bit more of Cole, like, growing up, as opposed to just, you know, these snippets of him at these core ages. Like, I think that if they had made it two Mm -hmm. movies, it would have been really interesting to expand a little more on, like, Mr. Holland's home life and yeah and especially since like and something that I thought about that they never really address um but maybe I, I think that what we're supposed to assume is that like once Iris gives birth she becomes the stay-at-home mom and you know we're supposed to assume that like she becomes the stay-at-home mom and we see her throughout the movie later taking pictures but we never see her have any kind of career. Yes, yeah. she wants to be a photographer. And so I'm like, did she, because she had a baby in the 60s, and, you know, the thing that was done at that time was that, you know, once you had the baby, the woman gave up the career to, you know, take care of the child, and the man was the breadwinner. Like, did she just give all that up? Does she still take photos for fun? Does she take photos for money? Like, I would have loved to see more about her life. Like, what does she do when he's teaching? <laughs> Well, I'm taking, well, I think when you have a son like that, you, you just automatically become a full-time parent. And in those days with less aids and less help and, you know, no financial help at all, that was the only way she could do it. But even if she was just, you know, let's say that Cole did not have a hearing problem, she still would have probably been a stay-at-home mom because in the 60s, once you had a baby, 
People wouldn't even hire you. You couldn't even have your job back. Once you were pregnant, they didn't want you anymore. And sometimes you had to sign contracts. I'm learning about this in one of my TV courses right now. They expected you when, like, let's say you and I were going out to get a job at our age right now. They expected you by the age of 30, you had to sign a contract that when you're 30, you'd have to leave your job because that by then they expected you to be married. There was a contract to say by 30, you had to leave. And so I guess, you know, in her, I know, right? And I guess with her, you know, her, her idea of wanting to be a photographer, which they only mentioned, you know, at the very beginning, that dream, you know, she didn't get to have that dream, just like he didn't get to have his exact symphony the way he wanted it to be. But they never really talk about what she wants to do. And that kind of made me sad. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I agree. I like found that really interesting how as soon as she has the baby, like all talk of her being a photographer, like that just ceases immediately. Yeah. We never hear Out about the window. Again. Yeah. Yeah, we just sometimes see her taking pictures of the family, but that's it. So yeah, I would have, I I think it would have been really Mm -hmm. interesting to hear a little bit more about what went on there, even if it was just as simple as like, you know, it's the 60s and it was just a conversation of like, well, I've had a baby now, I'm going to be a stay-at-home mom. Like even just a little conversation like that, I think like it would have been interesting to see for me anyway. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You're right. Maybe they should make a mini series of this now, like on Netflix I or think something. It would be I would such be down a good for that. Miniseries. I would watch a six episode miniseries based on Mr. Holland's opus. So easy. I think that'd be so <laughs> fascinating. For anybody listening out there that, you know, is part of Netflix. <laughs> yeah, come on. Disney Plus, get on it. I just wanted to say um, what I liked also about this movie was how the students in it looked like students you'd actually go to high school with. They weren't, you know, overly sexualized and they had acne and they looked realistic and not like a lot of the early 2000s films that just portray, even today, you know, it's only started changing now with Netflix um, making kids look like kids. But, you know, even the Stranger Things casts, you know, they're like 15 years old and they look like they're 30. Like, it's almost like creepy it's really creepy and you know yes Rowena was her character her the actress Jean Louise Kelly was uh older but even you know as she was portraying an 18 year old she didn't you know have like big boobs and you know overly sexual like they do on Riverdale like they do in you know um I'm trying to think of another high school movie Mean Girls you know and I really appreciated that because that just turns me off from movies high school movies right away. When I see characters like that, I'm just like, oh, this movie's going to be so predictable. They all look like Blake Lively. Like, I've never seen a Blake Lively person in my life. That's why I never was a Gossip Girl fan. And it's just, no. <laughs> well, I, I think it was actually funny. I was thinking about how I really liked how they had to make all these connections with students. And with the exception of Rowena, um, mm-hmm. I thought that they all very much seemed like students who you encounter would encounter in real life like for as much as I like the breakfast club movie none of those people are real people like all the characters in the breakfast club are like very over the top stereotypes of like very specific type of high schoolers whereas like all of the high schoolers that Mr. Holland teaches whether they be high schoolers who are just like sort of background characters or ones who you spend a little more time with who he makes more of a connection with they all feel like people who you could have sat in a classroom mm-hmm. with. None of them are over the top stereotyped or, you know, like, like you said, none of them are like these like hypersexualized, like very like 
perfectly curated images of what like this type of high schooler is going to be like. They all felt like real high schoolers, which I, I really liked. Yeah. Was Did you have uh, a favorite student that he helped? I Oh man, I don't know. I really liked, I mean, I love Lil Russ and I thought that storyline was really good. Um, but I also really liked Gertrude. I, especially because she was like the first student that he really helped. And it was sort of what kickstarted him actually being more passionate and more engaged. Um, I, I thought that that was, that was really interesting. And like when we see Gertrude at the end, actually, do you know what? Gertrude is my favorite. She like just, it, like I really like Lil Russ. He's a very close second. But Gertrude is my favorite because I love when she comes back at the end because at the end, like we find out that she's governor, right? She's like awesome now and she's a governor, which is like specifically like music teachers or music students or like like Glee, for example, so often it's like, oh yeah, these music teachers make a really big impact on students who want to go into music. But what this movie does a great job of showing is like, no, these teachers make a huge impact on everyone. Does Gertrude play the clarinet now? Who cares? Like, she's a governor and this music teacher still had a profound impact on her life. It doesn't matter if she, when she graduated, she never played the clarinet again. It was the way he taught her that made an impact. And that's why she was my favorite because I thought that whole arc was so important. Gertrude was my favorite too. And I really like, uh, we'll talk about the ending in more detail, but I loved how they did bring her back. And you know, how she still had like her great red hair which was her favorite quality in herself and like you said you know just because so what she's not a clarinet like person that's not her job but he gave her the confidence to be good at something and so yes the clarinet was the first Mm. thing she was good at so she thought she could do more things because it didn't look like her family was supporting her in any way she seemed like the black sheep of her family so just that confidence made her become a governor she wasn't going to become a governor you know she might have just been married and had kids after high school so I really like that um and just um that was one of my favorite scenes but another one of my favorite scenes oh I just loved so much of this movie but you know after he helps Gertrude and he comes home we find out that he's finally being inspired you know he's helping his wife build the crib for soon to be coal and you know just the glee in in his face such good facial expressions uh Richard Dreyfuss has and that was one of my favorite scenes because it really shows that he's inspired now he's really involved in teaching and you know it just needed to be Gertrude that would you know put him in that mindset yeah it was really great seeing like when he had that switch and was like talking so passionately about teaching at home because like you said like both of our parents are teachers like I'm sure we have both had moments in our lives where our parents have come home and been like really excited about something they taught that day or like something yeah. that happened in class. And it's, it's so great to see because you see like that they love their jobs and that they enjoy teaching. Yeah. Did you have another favorite scene? Uh, the whole ending was my favorite. <laughs> oh my God. I bawled like a baby for the end scene. I like, I was so, I, because I like the first 30 minutes of the movie were a little slow and there were like a few things here and there that I didn't like. And as you know, I like really didn't like that Rowena scene. I was like, I'm not going to cry at this movie. I'm not going to cry at this movie. I like it. I'm not going to cry. I then I was like, I'm not going to cry. And then the ending, as soon as he walked into that auditorium, I just started bawling and I did not stop crying until the credits rolled. Like, 
all the times that I know movie that I had not cried just came out there. So that was like my favorite scene because it made me like it moved me so emotionally. Mm-hmm. But this isn't like one scene in particular. But I don't know if you were going to talk about this already. But um, one of the things that I really loved about the movie again, I love that it was breaking so many of the sort of like high school movie stereotypes is when you first mm-hmm. meet the gym teacher, I was like, oh, okay, I get it. He's like a stereotypical gym teacher, whatever. But then him and but the he's music not. teacher are like best friends, which you I know, it's see. so cute, their romance. So, it's so good because like the gym teacher, like to a certain extent, he's like the stereotypical sort of like jockey gym teacher, but he also, A, cares so much about the students, B, becomes like really good friends with the music teacher, like, it's just, it's really nice to see these stereotypes get broken. And even, like, when you said about how one of the nice things about this movie yeah. is that there's no real antagonist, like, the vice principal, Gene, mm-hmm. who later becomes principal, like, he's an asshole and I don't like him, but he's yeah. still not a villain. He still has, like, moments of yeah. being a good person throughout the movie. For all the terrible decisions that he makes and, like, bad things that he says, yeah, he's still not a villain. And I think that that's, like, a really interesting dynamic that they play with because that's what it's like in the real education system. There aren't teachers who are villains. Yeah. There are teachers who are not as nice or not as good as others, but that doesn't make them the villain TM. So I thought that that was really well done, too. And... And just back to, thank you for bringing up Bill. Bill's the gym teacher, and, and they're great bromance. You know, we first meet him, and and um, Mr. Holland is waiting in line for food, and Bill's like, come on, man, you don't have to wait in line. You're a teacher. And, you know, you right away know that they're going to click. And then throughout the years um, to the 80s when Gene, um, is that Gene, the principal's name? He doesn't want to do a musical. They want to cut the musical production. And, you know, the drama teacher and Mr. Holland, is they're really upset. And then that's how we get the Gershwin and Ira musical because Bill says, you know what, why don't I just take some of my football players and teach them how to dance and then they can be in it and then you wouldn't have to have as much money, uh, need as much money because you're using kids that are already there and, you know, give money to the football team. And I thought he's such a good sport, you know, compared to all those like high school musical stereotypes where like, you know, the band kids and the music kids do not get along and, you know, yep, they're nerds yep. and they're, they're cool. And, you know, the, they were really good in the play when, you know, Rowan is dancing and the, yeah. you can see the um, football people in the ba- the boys in the background and they're actually having a great time. And it made me smile. I was like, why didn't I get this experience in high school? Yeah. I would have loved to be in a production like this and just have fun. It looked like so much fun to be in this movie. I never thought I would leave a high school movie saying that I love the gym teacher because the gym teacher is always, <laughs> always stereotyped as the worst one. And But he, Bill is so good in this movie. Yeah. And they were all, the characters were all very round and developed, you know? There wasn't any flat characters. Even William H. Macy's, uh, the principal's character. You know, we don't like him, but even in when he's sitting in the audience of the musical, he's smiling. Like, he loves it. He loves what he's seeing. He's plotting, even though he was gonna cut it. And in the end, it's so sad when um, they go through many years after, and um, Mr. Holland's now, I think, in his 60s, and the principal comes to him and says, we're cutting music, which is appalling. He's like, we're not gonna cut, what do you want me to cut, math instead of music? And Mr. Holland is like, well, what's the point? If they don't have any, you know, creativeness or want to do something with their life, it's not from math, it's from having some 
other outlet. And that makes me so sad when they cut the music program in the end and he loses his job. Oh, it's heartbreaking. But it's, you know, it's sadly accurate. Yeah. Like, especially in, I don't know, um, you know, I, I don't really know about what's going on back home in terms of high schools and how they're handling COVID. I only know little bits and pieces about what's going on here from, like, friends whose siblings are still in high school. Um, but I know that, like, in these COVID mm -hmm. times, a lot of high schools just cut all of the music programs for the year. They were like, we're not even going to try yeah. to offer music courses during COVID times. Like, a lot of high schools around here just aren't doing music because of COVID, which is heartbreaking. Like, they're not even trying. It's so sad. No. And another reason to showcase this movie right now, because it's so big with the arts and how COVID has really crushed the arts right now. You know, it, yeah. you can't go to theaters. We can't even see outdoor theaters like, you know, Theater Under the Stars or anything like that right now. And the people that are suffering, you know, actors and theater goers, it's just awful. And I think they should be promoting this movie to show, you know, how important and vital art is. And I have to say, I've never left a high school movie wanting to be in the high school. Yes. Yeah, yeah. right? <laughs> I, I never felt that way in my own high school. So maybe maybe I should have yeah. gone to John F. Kennedy High School. Yeah, right? Like, Argyle could never. <laughs> Is there anything uh, left you want to say before we do the final judgment? I think, I think I'll just save it for the final judgment. I feel like I, I if given the opportunity, I could probably, yeah. like, really dig into and talk about this movie forever but <laughs> I'll save my summary for the final judgment yeah I'm just surprised at how no one ever talks about this movie and how underrated it is and I hope that this podcast will make more people watch it because it's an excellent film and you know it was, it did get Oscar nominations. Uh, Richard Dreyfuss got a Golden Globe and an Oscar nomination, and I think he should have won. I'm not quite sure what he was running up against in 1995, but he had to learn how to play the piano and he learned how to do sign language. You know, he just has this really great energy that he brought to it. And I talked about yeah. him in uh, my podcast on American Graffiti, which was at the very start of his career. That was like his very first movie 20 years before. But how even, you know, in the middle of his career, he still was picking parts that were unusual and really great though. And, you know, maybe they're underrated, this one, but I don't know, he had a big impact on me. Okay, so did Mr. Holland's opus move you or not? Yeah. I think we've kind of answered this. <laughs> Ready? Oh, yeah. it, it definitely moved me. Like, I, 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 not often do I, like, totally agree with Rotten Tomatoes, but I actually, like, totally agree with Rotten Tomatoes. I think that if I were to give this movie any kind of ranking, I'd probably give it, like, between, like, a 7.5 and an 8 out of 10, just because, like, I really liked it. It really, really moved me. Um, especially being someone who is a music student who wants to go into music education, who, you know, ideally, like, I would love to someday be a Mr. Holland type who could be teaching music and having that impact on students. Like, that would be my dream. So, of course, it really moved me for that reason. But also, it is just a really moving movie. Um, it's so well done in how it handles covering 30 years. Like we said, it is extremely hard to cover that 
long of a time span in one movie and have it actually work as well as it does. Um, there's definitely moments I don't like. There's some stuff that, you know, looking at it from a like 2020 lens is a little bit rough or a little bit cringe, but like for a movie that was made in the 90s, I think it does extremely well with the subject matter that it does cover. And for as much as I usually don't condone remaking stuff that has not been around that long, like I don't consider, you know, something that was made in the 90s as having been around long enough to warrant a remake usually, mm -hmm. I genuinely think that it would be really, really interesting to see a mini series or some type of special where it's like, you know, two like hour and a half long episodes that go together or something, some type of remake of, of this because while I think that everything that they covered, they handled really well overall, there is so much more about like the sphere around Mr. Holland and the people in his life and the people at the school and the political climate that I would love to see mm -hmm. dug into even more. I think that like it does fantastic with what it covers and I would be so interested to dive even deeper and see like what more we could cover. I think that'd be really fun. Yeah. And I agree with everything you said. This movie is a moving film. You can't watch it without being moved. Um, whatever scene it is that moves you, for me, it was everything. I loved pretty much all of it. And I just thought it was well executed. I thought the dialogue was really good. And it just seemed organic and realistic, especially like how, you know, Cole looked like them. I don't know how they managed it, but it yeah. just seemed like a family. It was crazy. And just his connection with the students. I really wished I had a Mr. Holland in, uh, in my life. So I just, I got to give this movie 10 out of 10. I loved it. And um, I hope more people watch it. And I hope they do find a way to get that out there. Either, you know, putting this movie on Netflix or, like you said, making a miniseries. Because there's so much more they could do. I mean, nowadays, they would not give this movie two and a half hours. They would, like, have cut most of it out because of people's, like, you know, attention spans. And mm -hmm. I think in those days, it's great that it got away with being that long because... Yes, the beginning's a bit slow, but there was no other way they could have really done it differently. I think it was yeah. just really well done. And But if they do do a miniseries, I would like to see a bit more of Iris's character. And, um, yeah, just her relationship and how she is pretty much a single mother when he's gone uh, yeah. every day at work. And, yeah, more of Iris. It is a feel-good film. I would definitely give it that, but there's also... They talk about really important issues that I don't feel like they talk about. And it makes me sad that for people that are in the deaf community, why there are not many more um, yeah. portrayals of them in the media today. And how this movie did an excellent job, you know, not being condescending and being realistic. And I wish that they showed more of that. Well, I don't really have much else to say about this movie, just that I loved it. <laughs> yeah, highly recommend yeah, highly recommended, very underrated. I hope more people take the time to watch this movie, whichever way you want to watch it. If you live in Canada, it's on Disney+. Plus. And uh, I think this was a great movie to end the back-to-school theme with, don't you think? Oh, definitely. And I want to thank you all for listening and staying tuned for more episodes coming out this October. And I want to thank Christina for being again on the show and talking about this great movie. 
Yeah, thank you so much for having me.